with us will be in the book of Hebrews chapter number 8. <clears throat> Certainly desire your prayers this morning that the Lord would help us and uh, touch us. Realize that without Him uh, we can do nothing this morning, especially nothing uh, that will be of any eternal value or any help to you. Uh, but by His grace, I pray that He'll help us today if you'll be careful to pray for us. Hebrews chapter 8, when you found your place, if you're physically able, willing to do so, we'll stand together. Of course, by standing, we're just showing reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 8, begin reading in verse number 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> we read these verses here in Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, the writer here, whoever it is, uh, common agreement is that it is the Apostle Paul. He's not mentioned by name. It really does uh, make much difference who the human penman is. We understand that God is the author of it all. And here the writer says and begins verse number 1 of chapter 8, and he said, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So the writer's going to sum up for the most part in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 what he has begun to say in the chapters previous to this. Now, if you read the scripture, if you'll just bear with me for just a minute, I'll get or try to get where I feel that the Lord would have us to be this morning. But if you read the scripture in the chapters previous under chapter 8, the writer here begins of what he's speaking about concerning Christ as our high priest. We understand of that the book of Hebrews is a book of better things. That's the, of the theme of the book or the word that occurs most often in the scripture. In the book is a better. It's a, thing, a book of better things offered unto us by Christ. And so here the writer has begun to talk about the better priesthood of that Christ has become a better high priest of better things to come. And he's begun this thought or this topic in at the ending of chapter 4 and he writes about it in chapter 5 for a brief few moments but he, he gets to the end of chapter 5 writing to these uh, Hebrew believers and he comes under the realization as he's writing that they're not yet able to bear what he's trying uh, to deliver unto them. Uh, for he says at the end of chapter 5 uh, that they should be at a time uh, that they should be able to teach others uh, but now they have need to be taught again the first oracles uh, and the first principles of the word of God. And so he begins to preach to them the right to them as he said in verse 13 and verse uh, uh, verse 12 of chapter 5 uh, that they were in need of milk and not of strong meat. Uh, for he said that meat belongeth to them uh, that are full age and have their senses exercised uh, to discern both good and evil. Uh, but he said everyone that useth milk is unskillful uh, for he is a babe. Or in other words he's not reached a spiritual maturity. And so the writer begins in chapter 6 to lay groundwork of foundational and fundamental doctrines of the word of God. But then he gets all that out of the way and I don't mean that irreverently and I, there's a lot of opinion 
opinion as to why that this Hebrew church was not ready yet to receive what the writer is trying to give to them. One common agreement is that it's understood in the scriptures that they're under much persecution and because of that it's got their eyes over what really matters and so the writer gets their eyes back on Christ again and then he picks up in chapter 7 and he begins to write about this great high priest that we have and through the entirety of chapter 7 he writes about his priesthood and then in chapter 8 he said now based on what I covered in chapter 4 and chapter 5 I took a break in chapter 6 started again in chapter 7 he said now I want to sum it all up or in other words I want to bring it to a close and give you the main thought that I need to give you and this is what he said he said we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man for you see the writers using Old Testament knowledge because he's writing to Hebrew believers and so they understand the law and it's hard for you and I I was texting a preacher last night and discussing some things and I said Hebrews is a deep book and I struggle sometimes to try to get my thoughts across and to understand it and the realization is this you and I do not have a great understanding of the law we've never had to live under the law we've never had to bring sacrifice but the writer here is writing to a people who lived in the law day in and day out and he's using Old Testament picture to preach to them about the fulfillment in Christ that we now have not living under the law but living under grace a lot of times when I'm guilty and we're all guilty of complaining about the day that we're living in. We complain about living in the last days. We complain about how bad it is and how bad the days are. But I want to say this morning I've been reminded that I'm glad I'm not living under the law. I'm glad I didn't have to come this morning leading a ram or a lamb or a bullhawk or bringing some turtle doves with me and a gift to a man to go to God on my behalf because I couldn't go and stand on the outside just hoping and praying that somehow God would accept the sacrifice and not have wrath on me. But here we are this morning and we're saved by the grace of God. We have one sacrifice and it was already made and done and completed the work and because of that he had fulfilled the law. The writer said it's the law abolished he said, God forbid, but you and I are in grace. We're not standing on the outside hoping to be accepted. But the Bible said Christ broke down the middle wall of partition and he brought us in where we could not go. And so I have been reminded to watch about complaining. I understand of the mindset. I understand that these are bad days. I understand that we have all said that we wish we'd live in different days. But I'm just glad for where I am. I'm glad what God's done. I'm glad God's not finished yet. But he's still doing work. And I'm glad to be in on it, aren't you? And so the writer said... We have this high priest. He's a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, and this is what I want to preach this morning, God will help me for just a minute. He said, wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. And so God got to stirring in my heart and dealing me on what Christ has to offer. And I begin to think about that. 
And there are a lot of things that I could say and some I will say if God will help me this morning. But in reality, what he had to offer. Now what the Lord is talking about here is the sacrifices that are offered on the altar unto God. But it was necessary in the Old Testament that the high priest have a sacrifice and gifts to offer unto God. For that is the way that they found access unto God. But now here, the writer is saying there's a twofold, I believe, the way it's on my heart to preach this morning, is that Christ did have something to offer unto God. But more importantly than that, what I am interested in this morning is what he has to offer unto us. And in reality, what he has to offer is his self. And that's it all. That's everything. All in one is he offered himself both unto God and unto man. To God for man. That's what the high priest did. He went in with blood and he offered a sacrifice unto God for man. And Christ is no different. I'm glad this morning to say and I begin to thank God and begin to deal with my heart that here we are in these days and there's a lot of emphasis and many people make decisions based on what others have to offer. Ain't that right? I mean, we choose our banking place based on what they have to offer us. Many people choose other things in life based on what they have to offer. And they almost always, I mean, it's just necessary as part of the flesh that we almost always choose the one that has the most to offer. I'm going to tell you this morning, he has the most to offer. He can offer things nobody else can offer. The book of Hebrews is a book of better things. And the better things come from him. He is the one. He's the reason why we have better things. Matter of fact, if you look in verse number three, it uses these two words, this man. It's mentioned about four times in the book of Hebrews. And every time the words this man are mentioned, it's always linked with Christ talking about Christ, but it's always talking about better things. It's mentioned in chapter 3 and verse 3 when the writer of Hebrews is talking about how Moses built the tabernacle and built the house of God. But he said, but this man hath built a spiritual house and is the builder of all things. You see, he didn't build this house, but he built this house. Do you understand what I'm saying? God didn't build this building, but he has built this body, and so he's a better man, building better things, not for an earthly purpose, but for an eternal one. And so this man, in chapter 3 and verse 3, is the builder of a better house. In chapter four, 7 and I, I don't normally look at my Bible very much in my notes, but I need to this morning. In chapter 7 and verse 4, this man is greater than Abraham. That Abraham was the father of faith. But this man is the father of many nations. This man is the father of many souls. He had brought many sons under glory and that he had made one family both Jew and Gentile and so because of that he's a better man and you understand what I'm saying the scripture used the word man he was 100% God and 100% man but he came into this world and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of flesh and so because of that he's the God man Paul said there's but one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus and so he's greater than Abraham in chapter 7 and verse 24 he this man is a better priest because he has an unchangeable priesthood. That is that he never dies. For you see in the Old Testament they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, see if he ever lived, had a power to make intercession for you and I. 
he's a better priest. Then in the text that we read this morning, he has better to offer. Up here in chapter 10 and verse 12, up this man has a finished work. Up the Bible speaks about but this man, when it offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You'll never in the tabernacle in the Old Testament ever read of a chair anywhere to sit down. But the high priest's job was never done. There was a remembrance of sin every year. But the Bible said this man, when he had made one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down and the work was done. The salvation work is done. I'm not uh, trying to preach difficult things this morning. I'm just trying to preach what's on my heart and I'm not a deep preacher so you just hang with me for just a minute. Uh, but I begin to think about the better things uh, that Christ has to offer. If we're going to take it in its context, uh, then we must look back to the Old Testament and compare what Christ offers uh, to what they offer then. Uh, that's how this writer, uh, that's how the Holy Ghost has inspired this writer to write uh, based on what Christ is offering uh, compared to what the Old Testament priests offered in those days. So I want to say, number one, that Christ has a better sacrifice to offer than they did. See, there was a process. If you read the Scripture, and it's in this book, we don't have to go outside of the book of Hebrews and see and understand how the writer is making his case. That's what, and that's how it's on my heart. The writer's making a case out of the Hebrew believers that there will be no doubt and no question by the time he gets done that they say this Christ has better things to offer. So it has a better sacrifice. See, there's a process. There always has been a process. In chapter 7 and verse 27, the Bible said, who, talking about Christ, who needeth not daily as those high priests are to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the people's. So the process was in the Old Testament that the high priest would go in and he would offer sacrifice for his soul because he was sinful man. And then when he got that out of the way, he would offer for sacrifice for the people. But Christ didn't have to do that. For the Bible said that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and higher than the heavens. And he went in. The Bible said this man, he does not need to daily do that. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So the process was that they would go in and they would offer this sacrifice for their self and for the people. But with this sacrifice was not just the process, and I'm not saying that irreverently, it was the way that God had set up. That's the way God wanted it done. God had an order. They followed God's order. God instituted a process. They went by that process. But I'm glad that that day on Mount Calvary that Christ become a greater high priest. He fulfilled that process and there would never need to be another process again for he had a better sacrifice. Because with that process, with their sacrifice, there was a problem. And the problem is stated in the scripture in chapter 10. I believe it is. It said that it was not possible for the blood of goats and calves to take away sin. And so in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance of sin every year. If you look on the calendar in September, there'll be two Jewish words, Yom Kippur. And the word Kippur means atonement. And so it is the Hebrew day of atonement. That is the one day a year when the high priest would go in and would offer sacrifice for all the people. But the word atone means simply to cover over. And so that's what the Old Testament sacrifice did. For one year it covered over. But there was an expiration date, if you will, on that sacrifice. And when the year was up, it was over. And it had to be done again. And so that was a problem. It's not possible. That, that, that's what the scripture said. Not just that it, it, that it wasn't, but it was not possible for the blood of goats and cows to take away sin. And so then came this man. And he had a better sacrifice. He didn't come with 
goats and calves. But the Bible said with his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So his sacrifice was perfect. There's no other sacrifice in all the Word of God that could ever be said that it was perfect. It was acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, God was pleased with it. It appeased the light of God for a time. But there never was a sacrifice that was ever perfect until this man came along. And Peter said he was as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. We didn't come this morning to put in the open plate to redeem ourselves. There is no redemption in this. The Bible said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. The word remission means to let one go as if it had never been done. But I'm glad this morning that he has eternal redemption for us because of a better sacrifice. And so then, after that priest had offered the sacrifice, his work was not done. There was still a job for him. And that was to serve the people. And so I want to say this morning, and I hope maybe it's a helping you, maybe you're getting something out of it this morning, but that our great high priest, this man, not only had a better sacrifice, but he has a better service. That is, he serves you and I. We do serve him, that's why we're here. But I'm glad and thankful that as our high priest, he is serving us. That's why the scripture said he sat down to make intercession for you and for I. That's his service. And so his service, uh, we're talking about an ending service versus an eternal one. Their service was ending. I've often thought and have thought about it last night. Uh, those priests would come out of the tribe of Levi, out of the sons of Aaron, uh, the Levitical priesthood. And I don't know how long they lived. Uh, we can look back in the Old Testament and many of them lived long lives. Let's uh, say they lived a hundred years. Uh, can you imagine the attachment uh, that was made between the people and the high priest that for a hundred years he went into God on their behalf for a hundred years if he was right and the sacrifice was right that for a hundred years they watched him go in and for a hundred years they watched him come out and the Bible records that when the priest would come out of the Holy of Holies and into the outer court that they would shout for joy that God had accepted the sacrifice so for a hundred years they watched him go in and if you study the scriptures, and there's more to this uh, than I can preach this morning, uh, but if you study the scriptures in the hem of his garment, uh, there was a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. The bell uh, was for the people, the pomegranates were for God. The bell uh, was to let the people know on the outside uh, that as long as the bell's rung, uh, God was accepting the sacrifice. Uh, that's why we sing the song, Prayer Bells of Heaven. Oh, how sweetly they ring, uh, knowing that God has accepted our pre-sacrifice and because of him we have access to God. And the pomegranates were for God. They were for weights. Because God said if he saw the nakedness of their flesh, he would kill the priest. And so the whole time in the Holy of Holies, the priest is never still. He's always moving. And there's a rope tied around his ankle and led out to the outside of the camp. Because you have to understand, nobody but the priest can go in the Holy of Holies. And so all the people are standing outside listening for the bells. And the whole time inside the Holy of Holies the priest is moving. And as long as they hear the bells they know everything's okay. If the bells cease they know that God has not either accepted the sacrifice or he was not pleased with the priest and he's killed the priest and they have to drag him out as to not defile the Holy of Holies. And I said all that to say this. Say for a hundred years, they stood outside and they listened for his bells. 
and for a hundred times because it was once a year. So for a hundred times they watched him go in. And for a hundred times if he was right and the sacrifice was right they watched him come out. And for a hundred years they shouted joy and victory together. But there came a day that the word come through the camp and said did you hear that the high priest is dead and we're going to have to get another one and we don't really know him. I mean we really love that other one and we watched him go in in victory and really in their mind if you'd be honest how you'd be and I'd be there'd be a doubt and a comparison in their mind whether this new one would be as good as the last one and I don't know how the Bible doesn't record every age, every lineage of the high priest. But say the high priest served for 50 to 100 years. Say the people lived 200 or 250 years. They would go between three and four high priests in a lifetime. They'd go through the letdown of him being dead to the joy of the new one rising. To the letdown of him being dead. But ain't you glad the scriptures say about this man? See if he had an unchangeable priesthood. That means he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek without beginning of days nor ending of years. That means you can't go back and ever find a time that he hasn't been and you'll never go forward enough to find a time that he won't be. And so... I didn't come this morning wondering if I'd get a notice that my high priest was dead. But I sure am glad. He said, I'm he that was dead and I'm alive and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And so I've never got an out of service call. I've never got a discontinued message. He's never been disconnected. I'm glad this morning he has a better service for us. And so that's why we can come. See, if you read that scripture, and we want to read that verse, and it's wonderful. About, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But do you understand the first word of, the, of that verse is therefore? And so it links what's being said to what has been said. And it'll bless your heart if you'll listen this morning. The reason we can come boldly, the reason we can find grace, the reason we can find mercy, the reason we have help in the time of need, the verse before talks about we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the fear of our infirmities and it was in all points attempted like as we are yet without sin. And then if you go down to the next chapter about verse 2 or 3, it said that those high priests, they had compassion and pity on the infirmities of the multitude because they also were a partaker of the infirmity. And I want to say this morning that Jesus was no different, yet different. He didn't have infirmities of himself, but he took upon himself our infirmity, that he might be made partaker of our infirmity, that he might have compassion and pity on us, and he knows what we're going through. There'll never be a time that you could ever go see him that day. I'm just trying to preach this morning. I ain't never thought of some of this stuff, but it's just a, a rolling in my heart this morning. I'm trying to uh, get it across to you. Uh, there might have been a day uh, that some woman uh, had lost a child and went to the high priest and said, I'm in bad shape. Uh, but he had never been through that. Uh, so maybe he had some pity, uh, but he didn't understand what she was going through. Uh, and maybe some other come and said, I've had this problem and I need somebody to pray for me. He said, well, I've never been through that, but I'll do my best to pray. Uh, but do you understand this morning uh, that no matter what storm, no matter what problem, uh, no matter what difficulty, no matter what battle uh, that you have ever went through, uh, there'll never be a time, uh, there'll never be a circumstance, a situation uh, that he'll have to say, I don't know what you're going through. But he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Isaiah said it like this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Of the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. And so he has a better service to offer unto us. That he can and does minister unto the needs of his people. There never has been a time. Old David said, I've been young 
And now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I'm glad this morning for a great high priest that offers a better service unto us. But then, he had two things that he could offer. And I'm just trying to preach hats on my heart. Two things that he offered that the Old Testament high priest, they just offered a shadow of it, but they never could really offer it. And one of them is sanctification. That our high priest sanctifies his people that come to him. Now that word sanctification means to purify. It means to cleanse. It means to consecrate, to dedicate, and to set apart under the use of God. And it is still, by the way, I know it ain't popular in this day, but it is still a Bible doctrine of sanctification. And what it means is we are not our own. The Bible teaches us that we are bought with a price. And so therefore we glorify God in our body and our spirit, which both belong to God. See, we have this idea in this day People want to take the Word of God and they want to misconstrue it and apply it to meet their needs or make them feel good. And what people say in our day is, well, it's the inside that God looks at, not the outside. I understand that Scripture's in there, but it wasn't used in that context. That scripture is used when Jesse's sons come by the priest Samuel and he looked on the outside as far as the power and ability but God said I want David for I see his heart. You look on the outward, I look on the heart. But the scripture just said that our body and spirit both belong to God. And so therefore, the Bible said we're to come out from among them and be ye a separate people, saith the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you something about separation, which is a Bible doctrine. It and sanctification go hand in hand. But we're living in a day where people are turned off. And I'm not trying to judge any person or judge any preacher. But we're living in a day where people are turned off by separation preaching because they will not preach sanctification with separation. There are two parts of separation. You cannot just separate from. You have to separate unto. You can stop all the things that you ought to stop, but you need to fill all of that with something of God. See, in our day, most preachers that preach separation, they won't preach separate from, separate from, separate from. I understand that. That's in the Scriptures. Come out from among them. But the Bible does say we're to be a peculiar people. That is unto the Lord. See, we belong to Him. Titus said it like this in the book of Titus, chapter 2 and verse 14. It said, Who gave Himself to redeem, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. That purification is sanctification. That peculiar is separation. And they are both linked of us unto God by our high priest. He hath sanctified us. Now I said that word sanctify means to purify, to cleanse, to make pure, to separate or consecrate under the service of God. And do you know what sanctification is? It is being peculiar. The word peculiar don't mean strange. But I want you to listen this morning. It means special. It means literally one's own possession. What it means is that we have been bought. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And because of that, we are to live as would please God. We're sanctified and separated. And if I read my Bible right, and there's a lot of things that we could say just in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter number 10, and verse number 10, it says, by the which will, that is the working of God, the offering for sin. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. At verse 14, for by one offering, that is of himself, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now I want you to get this. Verse 15, what? That is 
the sanctification, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness for us. The Holy Ghost is a witness of our sanctification. The Bible said He had given unto us the earnest of our inheritance. That is the Spirit of God. That is the Holy Ghost. That is the down payment. That is the, the mark of the purchase price and that He will finish the work He started. And because of His sacrifice, because he has saved us and sanctified us and separated us from the world, then he hath given us the proof that we belong to him. See, this is where that I fall out, and I'm not here this morning. I want you to hear me well. We've got a crowd in our day that's preaching eternal salvation like it's a license for the people of God to see. And that we have the mindset where we're always saved. And so if that's the case, we can go out and do anything we want to do and come back in and get forgiveness from it. That was taught <coughs> in the Sunday school area this morning. And I want to say it again, there's nothing any farther from the truth of the Word of God. But the Bible said, He that's born of God sinneth not. And that word eth is a continual thing. If you can abide in sin and do what you've always done, it's an apparent word by the Word of God that you are knowing of His. But I want to know if He has given us the earnest of our inheritance, if what we have is an eternal word. In verse chapter 5 and verse 9, speaking of Christ, it said, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. So that means, that don't mean if you go out and live your life in obedience unto God, that's a work of salvation. The Bible said that we are ordained unto good works. We are not saved by our works, but to good works. That's how we work out our own salvation. That is a work that's already been done in us that works out of us. If this thing is eternal, and He hath put the Holy Ghost in us, how can anything take Him out? If we have been sealed, that's what the Bible said, unto the day of redemption, how in the world can anybody unseal us? One old preacher said it like this, and I don't have time to get into it all. I'm trying to hurry and get to the end and be done. But one preacher said it like this, if the devil was going to get us unsaved, if he was going to do something with our soul after we're saved, then he'd have to pry open all five of God's big fingers. And there would be inside the hand of Christ. And if he could get open all five of God's big fingers, he'd have to get open all five of Christ. And if he could get all five of Christ open, then there would be in his hand down in the blood. Do you understand that the Bible said that he said he had rolled us on the palm of his hand. That word rolled means literally that he has etched us in his hand in his blood you can't etch anything in flesh and it not produce blood that will do something to our heart to know that we are etched in his hand and that old preacher said if he'd get all five of God's big fingers open and all five of Christ they would be in his hand down in the blood and he'd have to get down in there with us to get us out and if he ever touched the blood he'd be one saved devil and I'm telling you this morning I'm not giving you a license to sin it ain't in the book if you can keep doing what you've always done you're not saved and you need to be born again but the Bible said my little children he didn't write it to the Lord he wrote it to us these things are written to you that you sin not but if any man do sin. I will have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm trying to be done. There's two types of sanctification. There's practical and positional. 
When we got saved, we became positionally sanctified in Christ. That is that we are made, the Bible said, all ready to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But then there's practical sanctification. That is how you live your life outside of the work of salvation in your soul. And the change can be made in your practical sanctification. Many people have done it. They get farther away from God and closer to the world. Farther away from God and closer to the world. But aren't you glad that position of sanctification never changes? That means we're as good as saved now as we'll ever be. When John wrote, he said, I saw that number. Out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue that you're saved this morning, he already saw you on the other side. But before 2021 ever got here, John already saw you. And you say, preacher, does that mean everything's okay? If I go out and see him, no, it don't. I'm going to tell you this morning, there is forgiveness. God will grant repentance. But as was taught this morning, I want to preach that God has to grant the repentance. He might let you lie in the muck and the mire and the filth of sin. He did to the prodigal son. The Bible said he spent all. God couldn't let him come to himself when half of it was gone, but all of it was gone. And he was perishing with hunger. And I'm telling you, he was still a son. But the reality of sin is this. He lost some things he never caught back. People say, well, if that's the truth, I'll just go and do what I want to do. You may start out to try to do it like Jonah did. But if you belong to God. Now the Bible said Jonah, I was sitting there reading and thinking while Brother Tim was teaching this morning that Jonah got on board the ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare there went down the bottom of the ship. He had every intention of that ship docking on Tarsus Harbor getting off and being on the shores of Tarsus. Yeah. But ain't you glad that every ship that goes don't make it to Tarsus. Yeah. But I'm glad God headed him off. And if you're a child of God, you may have in your mind when I go to Tarsus but I'm glad God won't let you go if you belong to him Amen. say well I don't just I just don't believe that well you just have to take that up with the Lord and if you get it in your mind good enough you're going to go and nothing's going to change God may just take you out because you belong to Him and He's not going to let His name nor your character be smeared through the mud if you really belong to Him. I'm telling you, the high priest that we have sanctified and separated us unto God. See, in that day, and I believe I'm right in saying this, in that day, what separated them was their birth. They were born an Israelite and so that separated them from the rest of the world. And I'm here to tell you this morning what sanctifies me is not because I have a suit and a tie on or I'm in a Baptist church or I call myself a preacher or I carry a copy of the Word of God in my hand. But what sanctifies me is on January the 2nd on bending knees on this side of the altar. I got a birth that I've never got over and never will and it separated me from the rest of the world. That's That's why we preach standards. That's why we preach you ought to dress right and live right. You don't have to worry. I'm trying my best to hurry and get off that. But I'm telling you, we belong to Him. We ought to act like it, live like it, talk like it, and walk like it. Amen, brother. Yes, sir. But then I'm done this morning. Our great high priest, he offered satisfaction that no other priest had ever been able to offer. If you read the scripture, the other high priests, they offered a sacrifice. They had a service. In one sense of the word, they might have had some type of sanctification and separation, but they never offered satisfaction. They offered appeasement. That is, that the wrath of God was pushed away for a year's time. And if the year expired, there had to be another sacrifice, and God was never satisfied. It just kept on coming. It's kind of like the law, you know, it says what goes up must come down. And those sacrifices would appease and push off the wrath of God, but it would come down again the next year around. But I got to reading over there this morning. I'd already, the Lord already put some of these things in my heart, but He hadn't really put it all in there until this morning sitting right there on the pew. And the Lord directed my heart over and I, if you saw me looking down, I wasn't being disrespectful. I was just trying to get what the Lord had in my heart this morning. And He directed my thoughts over there to Isaiah 53. 
and verse number 11. See, that high priest in the Old Testament, he went in and he offered a sacrifice to God for man. But neither one was ever satisfied. God saw the future knowing that blood was going to have to be shed again. Man knowing by the command of God if the year come around, there would have to be another sacrifice. And there was a chance that God wouldn't accept it. So there was no satisfaction on either part. But this man, when he was in service this week on Wednesday morning, and it got high. I mean, it got high. There's about 25 or 30 shouting at one time. And I'm going to tell you what they were shouting about. And it wasn't necessarily the song or the words of the song. It was God's witness on the song. I understand that. And the Spirit of God was there. But the youth choir there at that church got to singing about how man sinned in the garden and God required blood. But those blood, it would never atone. It would never take away sin. But then one blessed day in a manger in Bethlehem, Judea, this man stepped on the earth. And he lived a sinless 33 and a half years. And he walked the, the lonely road up to a rugged cross on a hill called Golgotha. On the outside of the city endured the wrath of the hell, the torture, the torment, the punishment of all mankind by Almighty God. And when he arose on that blessed morning, he said, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father and your father. But there was a blessed day when he ascended. And the Bible said, that song said, and there he comes. And he's got the blood that he shed on Calvary and the father said well done this is the last blood I'll ever need you say what does that mean well in Bible terminology this is what it means Isaiah 53 and 11 the Bible said he talking about God the father shall see of now I want you to get this because I misquoted this verse all my life and I'm just going to admit and one little two letter word makes all the difference the scripture said he shall, I used to quote it, Brother Tim, and say he'll see the travail of his soul. That's not what the scripture said. It said he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That word of means that God, we cannot see tomorrow, but God's already seen it today. And he knew what the results of the sacred. See, all them years when them priests come in with that blood and there's all kinds of things and I can't preach it all. They'd wave it at God had to get his eyes off the sinner and on the lamb. They'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. They'd offer up sweet savor, smell unto God and God was appeased. But in the mind, can I say it and preach it kind of like our human minds back in the back of the mind of God. God was already looking the next year when this would have to be done all over again but on that blessed day whenever it was don't matter in the line of time it don't matter it just happened but in come the son the great high priest who was not just the priest but he was the sacrifice no other priest had ever been priest and sacrifice at the same time but this man he was prophet, priest, king and sacrifice and he walked into the holy of holies in heaven and you say you got Bible I just read it he was the minister of the sanctuary and the tabernacle which God pitched and not man and then he come with the blood and please, I'm not doing any irreverence to the blood. It's all about the blood. But as the Lord, as priest, was putting his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, the Father wasn't just seeing the sacrifice, but he was seeing the result of the sacrifice. That's what that verse means. And it got to stir in my heart that he saw the travail of the travail of his soul. That word travail literally means labor pains. He saw the suffering that Christ went through, but not just the suffering, but the babies that would be born. And he was satisfied. He said, oh, I'm satisfied with the blood. But God the Father said, I'm looking down in 2020. And I don't mean to call anybody out or put anybody on the spot. But I might as well preach about him here. I preached about him in Chattanooga. He saw in 2020 when old brother Jacob would say that he needed to be born again. And in 2021, when they said 2020's the worst year and 2020 was the best for him, that was the satisfaction of God 
and that the blood was of no avail, and that the blood had power to save. That's why he's satisfied. That the sacrifice took away the sin of man. That's why John said, and I tried to preach last Sunday, and I didn't get done. So I preached it again in Chattanooga. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And those of you who are here and born again, I've heard some of you testify till I could about testify for you. Oh, Brother Tim, he saw you on that spring morning. Yes. And he saw of the travail of his soul. Yes. And he was satisfied. Uh, Sister Connie, he saw you around that midnight hour. Yes. And you didn't know whether it was that day or the next, but God knew. Yes. And he saw of the travail yes. of his soul. And because of what it brought, he was satisfied. But he didn't just offer satisfaction to God. But he offered satisfaction to man. That woman come to the well that day. And she just wanted to drink the water. Had her water pot. And she was coming to get the water. And there's a man. She didn't know who he was. All she knew about him was he was a Jew. Because by his look, she knew something was different about him. She just went on about her business, trying not to talk, trying not to look at him, hoping he didn't look at her. She's ashamed. She just lets her water pot down in the well and begins to draw it out. And he said, give me the drink. She said, hang on just a minute. She said, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman of Samaria. You're a Jew. We don't have no dealings with one another. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said unto you, give me the drink, you would ask to him and he would give you living water. Now I'm just preaching in my mind this morning, okay, how the Holy Ghost has got it in me. She's standing there with her pot and it's probably already got some water out of that well and she's looking. She said, sir, I don't know if you've been out in the heat too long, but the well's deep and you ain't got nothing to draw with. Whence then hast thou this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well and drank there himself? Without hesitation, Jesus points in, the, in her picture. He said, Whosoever drinketh of that water shall thirst again. But He said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I should give him shall never thirst. For the water that I should give him shall be a well of water in him springing up unto everlasting life. I think she drops the pot. All the water spills out. She don't give it a second mind. She just said, Sir, give me this water. And the Bible said that she left her water pot. You say, why'd she do that? She got a drink that she had never had a drink like before. And it satisfied her that she never had been satisfied before. That she had come the day before and drawn water. And you say, it ain't in the Bible. You just read between the lines. It's there. For whoever drinks of that water will thirst again. That she had come the day before that and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. But on this day, she left her water pot expecting never to have to come again. For she got satisfied. Christ did what no man could ever do. And on that rugged cross, suspended between heaven and earth, there's so much in that, I can't preach it all. But that was signifying that He was not accepted of God and He was not accepted of man in that moment. For man rejected Him and God turned His back on Him because He who knew no sin was made to become sin for us. But on that day, Brother Terry Pace preached a message. You ought to look it up and listen to it sometime that he bridged the gulf. He reached down as man and got a hold of man and reached up as God and got a hold of God. And the Bible said, now I'm not preaching my own stuff, I'm preaching Bible doctrine that he reconciled us back together. <coughs> That's a Bible word. That means that God was on that side. It's a judicial word. God was on that side and we was on that side and we was at war with one another. We were enemies. We were at the defense and we had none and He was the prosecutor. 
And he had all power to sentence us to everlasting punishment in hell. But a mediator stepped in. That is, when man could not approach God, and God was so holy he would not approach man, and there had to be somebody and a go-between. And that's why Paul used the word mediator. And that's a legal word, a go-between. And to take hold of God, take hold of man, and bring us to terms of peace. That's what reconcile means. That we've been brought from war to peace. And so now, 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 because of that, you and I, as the children of God, the Bible said we're ambassadors of Christ. And it has been committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we preach, be you reconciled unto God. You say, what does all that mean, preacher? Well, I'm pretty simple. So I'll just give it to you the way I understand it. The word ambassador literally means one that brings the terms of peace from another. And so that's what the gospel is. The preaching of the gospel is the terms of peace from God to man. And so we preach that there is terms of peace on behalf of the grounds of Christ and His work at Calvary. Man can be at peace with God. We can be, the scripture said, we can be at peace with God and we can have the peace of God in our hearts. And everything I've preached this morning is all linked back to them two words, this man. It's all because of this man. See, them guards come that day, and I'm trying to quit. Them guards come that day with their swords and their spears and their shields to arrest him at the order of the religious leaders. They heard him speak, dropped their swords, their spears, their shields, went back empty-handed. One question, why? Their only explanation was never man spake like this man spake. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's never been a man like this man. Because he's not just a man, but he's the man. And I'm telling you, the God man. We, we, we oversensitize and we underemphasize, I guess should be the word, because of our holiday spirit and all the things. We forget about that word Emmanuel. It just becomes lost in tradition. But we better shout about it that it means God with us. That when we could not go to God, God came to us. John said in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwell among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And the reason you and I are here today is because of this man. The reason we have hope, the reason our souls are being stirred when we preach about being satisfied is because of this man. And one blessed day on the shores of glory, I don't know what all's going to go on over there, but I get a good feeling that we're going to get to tell why we're there. And I don't think it'll be some long, drawn-out process of all the events of our life. For the Bible said the former things are going to all be passed away. I don't believe we'll remember condemnation. You can believe what you want to. Conviction, all that stuff be gone. But there'll be one thing we'll never forget. It's because of this man. When that old thief, Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, and there with Abraham, the father of faith, and with Moses, the great believer of Israel, and with Elijah, the prophet of fire, and Elisha, the prophet of the devil portion, and all the others that have went on with John the Baptist, who had been beheaded for the cause of Christ, in steps of thief. And when they say, Why are you here? He said, The man on the cross said, I could come. I'm going to tell you one blessed night on bended knee. This man said, not because of who I am or anything I've done, but he said, I'm the mediator. I'm the reconciler. And he said, I've reached out and got my father with one hand and I've reached out and got you with the other. And I've brought you at terms of peace one with another. The sentence is gone. The judgment's gone. You and I deserve to be judged. But we have an advocate. We have somebody on our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so because of this man, 
is why we're here today. And if you're here this morning and not saved, and the Lord's dealing with your heart, you can be saved. And it won't be in anything you've done. It's not in what we bring, not in what we do, not in who we are, not even in the words we say. We get caught up in all that stuff. It ain't, ain't about any of that. It ain't about any of that. I was in a meeting this week, and I don't, I don't even remember. I met so many preachers I'd never known. I don't even remember who was preaching. Maybe Brother Buster Mullins from Virginia. He said when he got saved, I believe it was Brother Mullins, he grew up in a drunkard's home. That's all he'd ever known. Didn't know anything about church, but God began to deal with his heart. Brought him that place of repentance. He said, Lord, I don't even know how to get saved. He said, but I remember hearing the preacher preach on you can plead the blood. And he said, when I bowed, I don't remember if he was in the church at home, but I remember what he said. He said, I just come to myself saying, Lord, I plead the blood. Lord, I plead the blood. He said, I don't know how many times I said it, but about one of them times the blood got applied on my case. And I'm here to tell you this morning it was the same for me. I'd been in church all my life. But I was under such condemnation and conviction. I didn't know what to pray or how to pray. I just come to myself saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It worked for Peter. It worked for me. It worked for you. Because of this man. The high priests of the Old Testament had something to offer, gifts and sacrifice, but I'm here to report to you as the writer of Hebrews, this man has somewhat also to offer. And he's got far greater gifts and sacrifice than anyone else has ever offered. And he'll get, he gave them for you, and he wants to give them to you. Thank God for this man. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to have been in the house of God today. I thank you, Lord, for God, your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for your help in preaching this morning.